Hi, I'm Dan Higgerson, and welcome to the 15th episode of the Idle Hand Society podcast, where we hope to discuss and learn more about effective creative process. I'm joined today by Paul Cutting and Sticking Bents. Good afternoon, or good evening, or good morning again, everybody. And photographer Brunel Johnson. Uh, hello, everyone. <laughs> that is a difficult one to say. Hello, hello. <laughs> How's 2021 been for you so far, mate? It looks like you've been really, really busy. Um, yeah, 2021 has been busy in a way, and also not busy in another way. So in terms of in terms of work-wise, it's been steady on since 2020, doing case studies. But now, obviously, with COVID being COVID restrictions being eased, it means we're not allowed to shoot indoors and in studios more. So that means more work comes in. As before, it was just shooting outside in grass fields and next to bushes. Are you an inside guy? No, I'm actually an outside street photographer. So it's kind of weird not being allowed in, even though I'm used to being out. But then shooting outdoors and having to restrict it to just um, a clear field or um, like a brush or bushes, it's kind of difficult. That's what most, most case studies end up, you're shooting against a plain wall outside or a high tree or just bushes so it's like oh man this is boring but when you're indoors you get to bring in some coloramas and different colors different windows so it's more it's more you get to use your mind more without having someone breathing down your neck you feel like you had your hands tied behind your back a little bit now then well before 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 yeah so if you've got loads of big plans then you are you up to loads now have you just booked in all the studio time you can um yeah yeah, sort of. Ish. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like um, there's a lot of case studies going on that I have to finish off. Um, there's a lot of personal projects which are being edited. Hopefully, some more commercial work. But it's like just every day an email changes the whole day or the whole week, and we just got go over the flow and see how it goes. Have you got anything you can talk about with your personal projects, or are you keeping all very close to your chest? Um. Well, I don't know about this one, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. I've got to think, I've got to think. <laughs> but you see, you see the, thing, the, thing, the thing with when you share your personal projects, it puts a lot of pressure on you as well. That's yeah. what I've, learned. I've learned that in the past, that if you share too much, a lot of pressure suddenly appears from nowhere. Whereas if you just say, okay, listen, I've got a project I'm hoping to release on the 15th of June or 15th, 20th of June, which is going to be focused on something interesting. It's a lot more easier to just keep it with the flow. <laughs> I hear you. Brunel, can I ask a question? Uh, how long have you been taking pictures? Um, so this May, yeah, this May makes it four years. So I've only been a photographer four years. And what, what, what made you pick up a camera? What was the moment that you thought, oh my God? <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is a question I get asked a lot. Um, the, the main reason that led to me actually holding a camera for the first time was because a photographer who was supposed to document um, a charity event that m- me and my friends were holding cancelled last minute. Me, I just said, how hard can it be to take a photo? Like, I was really ignorant. I was really ignorant. Trust me, I was really <laughs> ignorant. And I was like, all you're doing is pressing a button. Like, how hard can it be to, <laughs> to click a camera? Because we're going to pay him, I think, £200 for about two or three hours' work. And I was thinking to my head, £200? To click a button. <laughs> what? I said, no, no just, just give me the camera. I had no experience with DSLR. I didn't know anything about, anything about photography. I said, just give me the camera and let's save £200. So my friend set me up on a, 
I think it was a Canon 700D, something like that, or 7000D, one of the two. And uh, I just started shooting the event because it was a football event, like a charity football, charity fundraiser. From taking the first few photos, I realised there's a lot of maths involved in photography, right? So my background before photography is I'm a maths graduate, studied pure maths, and um, anything algebra-related, I'm in it, I'm in it. Algebra, geometry, uh, probability, uh, what's the other one? Algebraic structures. These are my, these are the things that I could spend days, hours, nonstop, just cracking the numbers and going and going and going. So when I saw that photography applied these things, but in a more practical way, I was hooked. I was addicted because it's the first time I've been able to use maths in um, more practical than theory way, and it was it was amazing because there's a lot of things you've got to take in when you're doing a, when you're taking the photo, which a lot of people don't realize. So you got you got to kind of preempt which is probability, what way this person on the streets of London or whatever is going to do, what they're going to go, how they're going to look. Um, you got to do the composition, you got to do the geometry, how you're going to position this subject within the frame. Um, then you've got to do the calculations of um, shutter speed, ISO, um, and aperture. So all these math-related things just keep me hooked to photography. Do you think there's a magic to numbers? Yeah, definitely. I think the whole world, everything, everything, everything in life is to do with a number. It's just how you can like, crack the code to get in the right number to make it work. I agree, man. I agree. I don't often hear people talk about that, but I kind of keep that close to my chest because <laughs> i worry that people think i'm a nerd or something but yeah, um, there is kind of a magic to numbers and yeah, yeah. and and the way that things add up and always come there's like a universal language right yeah, that, that these things will always mean something mm-hmm. and I, I find that endlessly fascinating yeah, yeah. i think i think if you look if you look deep enough there's always a pattern that repeats itself and you just have to take the time to just find that Find the pan. Yeah. So why did, why didn't you put the camera down then? So we know why you've picked it up. See, this is the first time someone's asked me that question. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, I didn't put the camera down because once I picked it up and actually found out it was a means to create a voice without having to shout or speak or anything, I really was drawn to it. So obviously where, where I'm from, I grew up in um, South Kilburn which is like a really rough neighborhood. Being gentrified now, but growing up, it was really rough. So there's a lot of um, stigma that comes with growing up on a council estate and growing up in these areas. And you're not always given an opportunity to express what you've been through, what you're going through. Like if someone came in and just started shouting or started saying, uh, this is what I'm going through. Everyone's like, oh, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Right? Right. With photography, it gives you a means to say or to show what you would have said silently. So before anyone knows who you are or what you stand for, where you've come from, they've seen the message in your photography. And as I continue to learn photography, the better my message became or the better I was able to express my message so that you can actually see that this is who I am. This is where I'm coming from. This is what I've gone through. And I just want you to understand what it is. I don't want you to be judgmental. I don't want you to take it the wrong way. Just understand 
try and learn and see that this is Bruno Johnson and there's thousands of other people that are similar to me who may not know how to do photography but have gone through the same thing or going through the same thing. So that's the reason why I kept holding up and um, kept the camera close by. Do you think that creative process um, has guided you? Is it, is it like, do you think you would have gone up the, the math route if you hadn't picked up a camera? Do you um, think you... 100%. I was, I, was, um, I was intending to do something in the city. I didn't really like um, city life, to be honest. The long hours, 16 hours shifts, I wasn't really feeling it. Um, so I tried to become a teacher. But then in the process of becoming a teacher, a math teacher, is where photography, I found photography. And it just kind of like, I don't know, it just opened up my mindset to a whole new world of freedom, which I'm kind of enjoying now, where I don't work a nine-to-five. I enjoy the creative process. Some jobs might be annoying, but it's still... And being in an office, right? 100%. (laughs) Really interesting. It's really interesting. How about you guys? How how did you guys start um, the idle hand? Really? Well, how long? We're in what, Dan? We're about... Episode 15, you said Yeah, this is episode 15. So I started throwing this idea around at the beginning of the first lockdown. Back in March, I was out on a walk with Tanya, my other half. So I used used to be a musician like way, 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 way back. And I've always felt like there's different things that I've learned through these different creative mediums like music into photography. And my other half, Tanya, she's she's like an illustrator. She teaches art. Um, and I've always felt like there's these different lessons that you can learn and map across different creative disciplines and not everyone sees that right unless you've done lots of different creative stuff a lot of people don't realize that there's other stuff out there there's other points of view and actually they apply it to what you're doing Um, so I started writing a few blogs just trying to get my own thoughts straight I'm a terrible writer right I'm dyslexic I'm, I'm a bit of an idiot but I just I quite like getting my thoughts straight on paper. Mm-mm, yeah, yeah. And it's just kind of interesting to see what other people's reactions are to those thoughts. That's kind of how it started. And then it kind of snowballed from there. So I sent some blogs over to Paul. Um, and me and Paul used to have these kinds of chats, right? We'd sit and have sort of a deeping meaningful, but you'd be busting each other's balls in the middle of it and all that <laughs> kind of crap. Um, but we, we would have these hour long chats or whatever. And mm. at some point, Paul, oh, I can't remember when you basically said this but you were like right we need to start recording these other people might find this interesting the vehicle i'd already created with these silly little journal entries that i was doing just seemed to work quite i mean the idle hand society literally came from having idle hands you know devil makes work for idle hands so i was just like well i've got nothing else to do i can't go and do the street photography that i love in london because right then we were literally being told not to go out further than 15 minutes from your house yeah you're only allowed out for like half hour a day. So I had to do something to keep the creative juices flowing. And this is what it was. So so it was kind of born out of this time, like a lot of creative groups are. Like we've, uh, last week we were speaking to Bernadette Timko. She's a painter. And mm-hmm. there's a creative group that she's in called Kanyo. And, and that, again, that came out of like this COVID-19 kind of everyone being isolated, but still wanting to be part of something, part of a group. Yeah. That's kind of what this is. That's amazing. So would you say that um, lockdown has kind of been a positive more than a negative? It's ups it and downs, shifted? man. Like, I don't has know. It has it shifted your views on life? Yes. Like, mm-hmm. emphatically, yes. 
the last i mean there is now and i never thought i'd be saying this i I never thought that i'd want to get my own voice out there and do something like this and have people i don't seek attention at all like he's lying brunel he loves it (laughs) he he dresses up on a friday night he puts on his skirt and out he goes (laughs) putting the sequence (laughs) other than the friday nights i don't really like to attract too much attention so if you'd have told me, I don't know, a year ago that there'd be 15 hours of me talking on the internet, mm. I'd have probably laughed. And I think Paul probably would have done the same. I don't know. Man. Yeah, the, the fear of it, actually, because, you know, I, I think it comes from a point of we're like we're we're upfront and we don't know everything. But actually, by speaking to different people, you, you pull a little piece of information from everybody that you speak to. Yeah. And, that, and that collective knowledge... Um, it's it's been really kind of transformational because you you know like we say we've spoken to like photographers graphic designers and I think we just want to speak to a few musicians but I think that idea of you know the creative process across the field has some same core principles and same core anchor points which which are really just it's just been kind of really amazing just learning just those nuggets of information from, from people that we've met right Dan it's yeah, been yeah, kind yeah. of and I think with everyone you do, you get a bit more relaxed in doing it. Like when we first started, I was like, oh my God, I can't listen to myself speak. Oh I yeah, can't. that first episode of ours is, is a little bit... <laughs> I think there's some gold nuggets in there, but I think it's, it sounds... You can hear that we're like rabbits in headlights. So I, I, I got a little question for you. So what's one tiny thing that brings you joy? And it can't be your children, your what camera. Does that be what photography related? Or? No, no, it can be anything, anything. One tiny thing that brings. It could be your socks, you know, if you like good socks. <laughs> One thing that brings me joy. I was thinking about this, you know. Um, Paul's got some interesting ones. Uh, how about. Let me go first, Paul. Let me see what you have to say. Well, do you know what? I was thinking about this. I, I love the smell of freshly cut grass. Just one. When you just, it feels like the, the, the sound of river, the river running and freshly cut grass, those two things combined. Oh, I can. Come on. You like a, I bet you like a cuddle. Do you? You like a cuddle, Brunel? A cuddle? A cuddle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he doesn't like a cuddle. I can't believe he doesn't like a cuddle. Come on, Brunel. Come on, open up, man. We're friends now. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 thinking, I'm actually thinking what brings me joy, as in what small... Do you know what? Paul, Paul asked us this the other week. Uh, yeah, I think, I think, you know, I think it's um, freshly washed laundry. Oh, I like it. Yeah. I like it. I'm with I you. It. I love it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. You know, you know, there's nothing... I see it. White socks. Clean, clean, oh. steam white socks. Ooh. My, that's my... Um, that's your bag, is it? You're special. Yeah. <laughs> Make yourself yeah. feel a bit sharp. Yeah. Put it on me. I know. I know. Every time that I go into the drawer to find white socks, and I see a pair that hasn't been touched, so I buy like I buy like um I buy like four or five packs of white socks, and then I only use two, and I recycle those two for a while. And I'd always look at the other remaining fresh pack as like a trophy. I like it. I like it. Tro- trophy socks. He's got trophy socks. That's right. You don't get this anywhere else, people. Brunel Johnson has trophy socks. Yeah, trophy white socks. I, mean, I, just, I just watch it. I'd rather use the recycle and look at the white. Yeah, this is nice. Yeah, that, that, that. Do you only bust them open to reward yourself or something? Yeah, special, super special occasions. 
Today I've been a good boy. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, no, I have to press my socks. That's a good one. That's a really good one. I don't think anybody has ever said that. So that's <laughs> yours, mate. You. <laughs> uh, Dan, um, Dan, you haven't told us how yours was. Oh yeah, Dan, come on, Dan. You got you got you got to crap one out tonight. Oh God. So I've been thinking about this for the last few days. So I really like this, you know, what we're doing now. I really like talking to new people. Mm-hmm. I find that really, really nice. Just being present in a conversation and just chatting to people. When I was in um, primary school, I had a teacher called Mr. Davis. Yeah. And he said, um, he used to say to me, you can never use the word nice. It doesn't mean anything. Okay. <laughs> was he an unhappy man? He, was, he, he used to smoke about 60 a day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That is, yeah. Dead no. now. Dead now. Don't believe what he says, boys. Dead. I bet he was like a really bitter <laughs> dude as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brunella, as you're developing through your photographic journey, like, what, what are the, what are the nuggets of information you've learned so far that you, like, like, you go back to the bits that keep you sane? What, what are the, like, if I was, if I was a, say I was an inexperienced young boy from the valleys wanting to learn photography, and like you're four years into your career, what would you what would you what would you say to me? Would you say, Paul, Paul, white socks to start with? Born in white socks, Paul. You know, like what's that? What's that um, old time movie? I think it's Yellow Brick Road. What is it called? What is it called? Uh, um, Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. I still got the red shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing that with the white socks. <laughs> I thought you were going to say follow, 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 follow the Olympic. Sorry, I can stop. <laughs> um, I'll say an advice that I'd give to Paul and a new photographer is 110% stick to what you believe in. Stick to what your your gut feeling tells you to focus on. So there's a lot of photographers new photographers who have a vision or have their own voice but are scared to develop it. So what they'll do is rather than battle through the hurdles and obstacles and create their own voice and niche, will just take whatever their mentors told them and run with it. So what you see is they end up being like a clone of their mentor. So I'd say, yeah, stick to your voice, stick to what your heart tells you to, to do. What does your heart tell you to do? My heart tells me, try to show positivity in every situation. So um, for me, an issue that I faced that really bothered me um, coming up as a photographer, when we talk about, let's say, if we want to get really deep, when we talk about um, photography of Africa, it's always gloomy, um, sad, poverty-driven, and... I believed this until I actually went to to Africa myself as a photographer to do it. And I saw all these bustling colours, all these bright, saturated colours everywhere, people happy, positivity. They were poor, there was poverty, but within the poverty, there was contentment. Do you know what I mean? Like a a wealth, like an emotional wealth. Yeah, it was emotional wealth. People were sharing, giving, like a person to have one loaf of bread and still share it amongst their whole family, their friends. Um, Someone would have... Yeah, let's say someone have one meal for the day, but as a guest, they'll still offer you that a portion of that meal, despite not knowing if they're going to eat again tomorrow. 
And all of these experiences and situations coming back to the West and seeing that Africa is shown as a gloomy, donate money and um, everything's bad over there. You should run away from these places. Really made me say that, okay, no way. I have to fight to change this narrative. I have to show that, yes, there's poverty. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to lie about it. I'm not going to paint it to be something that's not real. But even though there is poverty within it, there's contentment and there's a lot of happiness. Like a lot of the people that are poor that I've come across are happier than most of us who are considered wealthy. You know what I mean? So I've been, I've been to places where a person only has one shoe and they cherish that one shoe more than, for example, me at the time who had numerous shoes and I'd be like, oh man, I need to get some new shoes. But this person's cherishing that one shoe and you'd think, what's wrong with me? You start to ask questions to yourself Mm -hmm. as in, why is it that someone has less is more happy than someone who has access to almost everything? And these are the things that I'll definitely tell someone to, or that this is like my, whatever your question was, the answer. <laughs> yeah, it comes back to this idea, though, that stuff doesn't make you happy, does it? Like, stuff is now, like, we, we've become like this capitalist society where we just want more and more and more, and we are, we've kind of bought into the idea that things and objects and stuff will make us some somehow happier but actually it's it's a bloody myth isn't it it's a fallacy i would i i with the statement money brings happiness i actually agree with it you know do you but how it how it is interpreted is what i disagree with so for me if a person has a lot of money or gets money and spends it on themselves um this is where unhappiness comes out because after you've got everything you want there's this void. What do I do next? But a person who has money and uses the money to, like, for example, do charity and um, help others, right? There's a happiness of giving which supersedes any other form of happiness, which you can never get tired of because there's so many people to help, so many people in need of, um, like, assistance, which if you do it sincerely, money brings happiness. Because you're always seeing how you, let's say, for example, you give someone a camera who couldn't afford a camera. And then you see that person you've donated a camera to become the next David Bailey. There's a sense of happiness inside that that you can't, it's unmeasurable. And this is where money brings happiness for me, that I believe that statement is true. But if you're spending it on yourself, it's always going to be um, unhappiness because there's always going to be a void after you've got everything you want. Do you believe giving can be selfish? Mm, that's, uh, how do you mean? So, I, a bit of background, Brunel, I, I, I work for a charity. I've, I've heard this banded about a little bit. I could talk out of both sides of my mouth with it, right? Yeah. I've heard people say that giving is selfish for the exact reason that you've just described. It gives mm-hmm. me this nice positive feeling, I see the positive results, and if it wasn't for the fact that I gave a shit about the way I felt about things, I wouldn't give. That that that's an argument I've heard people make. I just wondered what you thought of that. Uh, that's the first time I actually heard that. To be honest, I wouldn't say it's selfish. I say if there's so much money in the world to to share, why not share? Do you know what I mean? Like if you're giving someone for the sake of people to know that you're giving, then there's something wrong there. Your intentions are incorrect. If you're doing yeah. it for show or for I need to show the world that I'm Mr. Big Charity or Mrs. Big Charity then yeah, it's wrong. But if you're doing it sincerely because 
you want to empathize with that person. I have no objections to that. I don't see it as selfish. I see it as probably selfless. Does this um, idea of charity, which seems to be within you as a person, you seem like a very giving man from from what we've uh, understood so far. Does it come out in your work? Is it, is it kind of is it something that you want to try and get this message of the things that are important to you? How you visualize that through your your work? Is that important? Um. Yeah, I'd say yeah. I, I'd want people to see my work. I don't know. I want people to see my work as authentic. That's basically it. Um, whether they see the charity side or the charity aspect of it is a plus, but it's mainly just to see the work as authentic. And in terms of charity, for me, coming from where I've come from, there's a lot of things I wish I had, if that makes sense, growing up. I wish I had um, access to certain things. I wish I had someone to tell me about certain things. I wish I had someone to... All these situations. So now that I'm in a position where I am that person, I just feel that it's my responsibility to be that person that I was looking for when I was searching for that person. So that's basically my way of life, is to become that person that I was looking for. Dan, we touched on this before, but it feels like there's a generation of, maybe multiple generations of kids who didn't have this access to the creative industries or even know that creative, a creative job existed, right? And like we, we, me and Dan both come from that, you know, working class families. And like when I grew up, there was no idea that I could be a photographer. They just didn't exist. Like it was, I couldn't paint, you weren't creative, move on. Right? <laughs> that, that, that was pretty much it. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. I think it's a really powerful statement that, like, we are in a position where, and I think that's maybe where this, this whole idea comes from, is that we are in a position where we've done relatively okay and that we've learned a little bit of information and knowledge along the way. And, and how can you pass that on and how can you, you know, inspire other kids to pick up a camera, um, I think is really important. And I think how, how we access those working class boys and families I mean, I mean, I think there's a whole load of talent out there that's just been untapped, you know? Yeah. There's a new Van Gogh waiting to be um, discovered. There's just around the corner, new, right? There's a new David Bailey. There's a new Beyonce, Madonna. There's all these new individuals waiting to be found. But yet no one has taken the time to actually go through the dust, shake it and find out where the gems are. And this is what more is needed. It sounds like you had a fairly academic upbringing, but were you creative as well? Was this something you had as a kid? No, no, no. <laughs> creative? <laughs> no way. I used to hate, you see, that's the thing about school sometimes. Um, when we were in, when we were in school, like I started taking school seriously just before GCSE because my mum used to say, listen, if you don't get a GCSE, it's, uh, it's game over for you. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. Come, come year 11, I started taking academic seriously. And um, one thing I realized is that the teachers would always push the creative arts to like the side and just bring the maths, biology, further maths, the chemistry, the physics right in front of you. And then anything creative was either pushed or discontinued. So you wouldn't even know about the possibilities or the realities of these powerful subjects. You know what I mean? Like yeah. media, for example, in school, it was made to seem like it was for someone that was down and out. I don't mean to be rude, but this is how it, made, it was made to seem. 
But when you come out into the real world, you realize, wow, media is really powerful. Why did I not study media instead of going to study some theory of maths? Doesn't make sense. Like, when am I going to use some of the maths um, theories that I learned in universities? It's almost never. But yet, media, I need it. I need it for social marketing. I need it to push myself out in the, in, into the, the virtual world. I need it to know how certain things are done. And these are the things that happen. So before, um, so yeah, coming back to the question, creatively, I never existed. I used to think that um, art was for like people that had free time and money and all kinds of easy goings. So only came after. Yeah, only came after. That's what the Tories want, right? Yeah, true. <laughs> the fifty yeah. percent cuts. Yeah, it's crazy, but yeah, until until that changes, a lot of um, kids are not going to really know who they are. No, they only learn they only learn academics, even academic wise. Like um, sometimes I wish I took an apprenticeship instead of gone through the university. Like, if I wasn't a photographer now, where would I be in terms of work? I don't know. When COVID came in, I was like, wow. it does feel like a bit of a blind spot as a kid no one really sits you down and says something like you see this chair you're sat on somebody designed that a creative person designed that chair you're sat on they designed the phone that you're holding in your hands they designed everything you see around you was designed by a creative person Mm -hmm. i don't remember when when i had that epiphany but i know it wasn't at school (laughs) exactly (laughs) totally totally exactly it's after um, the school of hard knocks that you start to realise, okay, wow, this is what really goes on and this is what really makes society. And it's a yeah. real powerful thought, that, isn't it, really? Like mm-hmm. Everything, every single object, from the table, from the fork that you eat with, every mm-hmm. single object is designed, made mm-hmm. by somebody who's creative. Mm-hmm. And that's so why it pisses comp- me off when you see some advert that's like, this ballerina should consider retraining in cyber. It's like, why? <laughs> No, no, Why? no. Because if we lose all our creatives, we are all moving back into caves. Yeah. Back in my cave, bud. <laughs> <laughs> back in the back cave. <laughs> no, it's true. I totally agree with it. But, you know, it all depends on how a person is raised, isn't it? And what, how they studied in school. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned mentors a couple of times. Have you, have you got a mentor of your own? Yeah, I've got a few. I've got quite a lot. I've got quite a lot of mentors, actually. I don't know. I don't know. What is it? Is it? Is it weird? I'm like, I'm not really. No, I think it's good. I think me and Dan have talked about this before about having this this group of trusted lieutenants, people that you trust that are maybe better than you or further more experienced than you in their careers, and that you know they've been on a similar journey. Maybe won't be exactly the same, but at least there's they've got some real lived experience that they can pass on. Um, yeah. and, and you can throw your work out and say, is this good or is this shit? You know, yeah. I don't know. I can't see. I mean, those, those, I think it's really important. And I, I think throughout your career, I think, um, I think it's important to develop them and, and get better ones. So I just get down. He's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Are you saying that I'm your mentor? Yeah. Is that I'm what you're saying, Paul? I, uh, I was teasing. I wanted to make you feel good, though. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I've, got, I've got quite a few mentors like each one each one has their strengths that I go for and I go to so yeah there's quite a few 
I've got I've got like a really strong critic, which is my mum, who um tells me like she just tells me straight like when I first started photography, the first photos that I was creating, she was like, What the hell is this? What were you trying to do? She was like, once my yeah. photography improved, she became a fan. But if I kinda like fall off or start to deviate into something that isn't true to me, she's the first one to say, Whoa, whoa, what's going on? That's really cool. <laughs> It's like, it's like a really good, like, um, remix for me to stay within. My wife is like, I can't get anything past her. Like, she's really hard. She's like, nah, it's really average. Carry on. You, and then she goes, what, what have you been doing all day? I just, I just went for a walk with my camera. What do you mean you just went for a walk with your camera? Show me what you took. And then she goes, shit, shit, shit. Ah, oh, that's all right. I said, that's, that's what, is, is that what I get? Is that's all right? And, you, you, you're, really and, you, and you're living for those as well, right? Yeah, I'm living for the that's all right. And you know, maybe she'll have a little, maybe she'll do a little trumpet and smile, and I think it's because she liked my photo, but no, it was because it was a trumpet. What? <laughs> when, when you say she has a trumpet, do you mean like she's just going... <laughs> what, as in like that shit? <laughs> she gets rib, darling. <laughs> So how do you guys well, how do you guys get inspired to do what you do? Um, that's a really good question, but I think I think it, like I, I go through these like peaks and troughs, you know. I kind of it's, mm. it's not like there's some days where like I, I I'm going in a bit of a rut at the moment where I've I just need to stand back from photography for a bit. So I've been collaging, I've mm. been cutting stuff up, and just learning that process and standing away doing something completely different. And I find that when I've been doing lots of commissioned work, is I, I really find it nice to just stand back from photography and do something else mm. and then when i go back to it i always feel like refreshed right. so yeah. i did a project in soho uh like a m- couple of weeks ago doing some street stuff i hadn't been out on the street for a year and a, and a bit and it was amazing just being in so shooting a project and i was like oh mm. my god i love being you i am loving you <laughs> and it was like but but i like this i um, I, I kind of I don't know, this point in with like street photography uh, and I think, and how you move, not move past it, but, but what's the word I'm trying to say? But you, I think I'll always grow. be a street, progress. yeah, grow, progress. Yeah. Grow. I think I'll always have a street photographer in me. And I think part of the way I like to shoot is, is kind of like a street photography, even on commissioned work. I, I kind of like that, like we were talking earlier about that instinctiveness about, you know, it's you, your camera, and it's it's like a puzzle, right? You're trying to work out all of these variables, mm-hmm. and I, sometimes that's quite intense. And and I like, I, yeah, I've really got into like I, I'm into a bit of like finding old photographs that in charity shops and on yeah. eBay, um, and yeah, and, and and just reading. I love reading. I love reading. I I've, I never used to be a reader in my like in my teens until even until about 30 and in the last 10 years I've become like a really like I, I ravenous like I just like to like I never went to university and and I, I kind of regret that in a way and um I, yeah I just try and take in as much information what, as possible what, um before you go what's what's your book that you're reading what's your most recent book I'm I'm reading um William is it William Gladstone it's not William Gladstone Hang on, I'll tell you now. Hang on, I'm gonna. This is the that, one you sent me about a hundred pictures of earlier, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I'm reading. Do you know what I'm reading? I, photography-wise, I'm reading this Dawood. Have you have you seen the Aperture stuff? Where um, it's I'll tell you what it's called. Dawood Bay on. 
that would be? Yeah, on photography. It's like an aperture book. That would be on photographing people and communities. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll give you this, this one. I'm going to try and find the quote. I'm filling the gap while I try and find the quote. Yeah, this was the one you were sending me loads of photos of earlier. This is what I get from Paul. I get a volley of about 20 messages. It'll say Paul Bent's 20 messages and like 18 of them will be photographs of pages of books or like something yeah. that he's working on. And then I end up reading half a book just through like little JPEGs on a phone screen. <laughs> yeah. Or occasionally I get sent quotes. That's quite nice. Paul's like my filter, right? <laughs> I, f- I feel like Paul might be more my mentor than, than maybe I am his because he's just constantly sending me all these like new ideas or like check out this article that such and such a person wrote. It's all quite inspiring stuff. Occasionally he sends me something that's a bit of a dud and I'm... <laughs> but that's what makes a good partnership though. If you're both sending each other ideas to kind of keep you guys fresh. And yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. I've I've never really found it all that difficult to get myself inspired. I think because I'm always doing so much different stuff, I don't really consider myself so much a photographer. I'm always into something, right? Okay. So then what so, brought you into photography? Because you said you came from a music background. So how did it transcend? I started photography when I was 16, so I'm 35 now. And when I started it, it was an A-level at, at school. Okay. Um, and I think I did it because I was too, I didn't have the smarts that you do, right? I wasn't able to do math and I'm dyslexic. So writing wasn't really my thing. I I knew I couldn't draw as well, right? So the only other option that was really left for me is music and photography. So that's what I picked to do. And when I started, it was all like HP5 in a dark room. Yeah, that's kind of the world I'm from. But I put the camera down for like the longest time. I, I took music quite seriously and I did a bunch of gigs. There was a point when we were playing like at least every week, sometimes two times a week. Amazing. We did, we did like these little tours and stuff. And, and f- for that whole time, I didn't pick up the camera. I used to, I used to take the camera on holiday and that kind of stuff, but it was all just snapshots. It turned out to be street photography. I found out years and years later what I had been <laughs> doing all this time with street photography. Cause I take yeah. pictures of strangers on the streets and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of how I started with photography. And then I picked it back up again. Um, I think it was when my first nephew was born. He's like eight now. Oh, amazing. So I ended up picking up, we already had a camera, but yeah. I just used to chase them around with the camera and sort of got right back into it again. Yeah, shooting shooting kids and toddlers is, is so fun sometimes. Yeah, like, yeah. About um, inspiration because they're so sporadic, they're so unpredictable. Do you know what I really like about it? It's how magical they find everything. Mm. Like they just they see the magic in just the most mundane things, whether it's like blowing bubbles one minute or just like singing to themselves about something mm-hmm. or or just. They're just doing something that, if I did it, people would think I was a lunatic. I'd be put in a room for the Mm -hmm. stuff they do, but they they do it and they see the magic in it, and I kind of like that. I'm just kind of fascinated by people, to be honest with you. It's not just kids. I I kind of like watching people and trying to understand what's going on in their head. That's a really good point for me to bring my Dawood. You think it's Dawood? Is that what you say his name is? Or Dawood? I don't know. Dawood. That would. Yeah, that would. That's that just, would. It fits the, the, the last wood part. 
Dawood. Okay, sorry, Dawood. I don't don't mean to get your name wrong. But anyway, he, 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 he says, while I've devised various formal strategies for articulating my concerns, I think fundamentally the work is driven by a basic curiosity. I seek to find out things about people by making photographs of them. I mean, that's it. That's the amazing thing, isn't it? With your camera, like you can go out on the street and you, you've got this power where you can stop a stranger you've never met before in your entire life and have a conversation. Like you were doing this with um, the times you can basically go to a community you've never met before uh, and, and basically spend time there and, and build a picture up of these, these people. They, you know nothing about their lives, but by the end of it, it will have informed you in some way and made you just a tiny bit holer. Like, but that's what makes photography addictive. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the bit I agree. That's the part that makes it addictive because to be able to meet someone on the street that you don't know at all and leave feeling like you, you've known them for a, a while is probably one of the best feelings you can find as a photographer. Really. I agree. It's, 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 like, it's like a little buzz, isn't it? It's yeah. like, that's it. Like there's always, <laughs> there's always, like for me recently, what comes to mind is I had took a photo on Easter Sunday of a old... African uncle, we call them uncles, yeah. And normally, um, normally to get a photo of these people is very difficult because they're very um, anti-photo. But when I spoke to him, I said, "Man, the outfit is is, is on fire," and he started laughing. And in that moment, I, I caught, I captured him doing a smile with his teeth and everything. And it's like the conversation that led afterwards meant that if I see this guy around that area, I can stop him and continue to talk. I can say, do you need anything? Do you need? And it's always that kind of relationship that happens with the people that you photograph, if you do it correctly, obviously, because there's, there's the negative way of doing it and then there's the positive way of doing it. For sure. It's like... Yeah, he said, he, he, he talks, Dawood, about um, that, like, before he ever takes a picture in a place, he'll just walk around the community, he'll go into the, the post office, he'll go into the fishmongers, he'll go into the, you know, all of the local shops and he'll make sure people recognise him and see who he is. And then he'll go in with his camera and he feels like it's almost, he's laying the bed before he lays in it, if you know what I mean. He's yeah, kind of... That's, that's the best way. And it makes sense, right? When you think about it, of course, of course, that would be like, if you just turn up and just drop into a place, shoot and then leave, kind of, there's no way you can get to know those people. There's no way you can build relationships. But then with that, you have to decide what kind of photography you want to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a borderline for me, what I realise is there's, there's a really fine line between street photography and documentary photography. Totally. Whereas a street photographer, what I define as a street photographer, is fly on the wall, no one knows that they're but he's capturing the moment, she's capturing the moment. Bang. Documentary photographer is, he's laid his bed as Dawood Bay says, but then he's also a fly on the wall because he told him, forget that I'm here. Just live. But do you think, like this, I, I've, I've, I've been in this space where you're, you're talking about, like over the last couple of years, and, and I think maybe the difference is, like you say, street photography is very candid, but I, I, I think it's really difficult to show who you are through candid street photography, right? Because you can make you can make beautiful pictures; they can they can be aesthetically beautiful. But how 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 do you how do you communicate even for a tiny bit of who you are as a person via 
that vehicle? I, I find it really difficult. I think it's yeah. a really... That's why one of my mentors said to me um, about two years ago, that um, photography, your street photography is great. It shows us a glimpse of what you are seeing, but we need to see more. We need to know more. Just the surface, right? It's- yeah. So it's like the prelude to everything that you're supposed to come next. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me of the Avedon quote again, Dan, that we read today. Didn't remember the one? The surface is all you get. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. it. So in order, in order to really bring out everything, you have to go deep, and that's where you become a documentary photographer. You have to let go of... I, I think most street photographers are really shy. Yeah, I or, think they're true. And it comes from... Absolutely, I agree with that. And it, it can... It's, it's very... I mean, it's, it's street photography has a bit of a macho image, doesn't it? It's, it's a bit of a alpha yeah. male. It's a, it's a kind of weird alpha male. I don't know. I don't. It's re- I find it really strange. Maybe yeah. I'm making this up in my own mind. No, no, I totally, I totally agree. Because in the forefront, you think it's the alpha male, but then really, really, everyone's really shy and scared of rejection, scared of um, getting talked about, doesn't yeah. it? So all of these things is that you have to embody to go forward and enter into documentary. I think also if you're focusing on documentary, there's some stuff that you need to let go of. So I, I do some sort of candid documentary stuff, like some paid gigs, I shoot some weddings and some family stuff. And I know you are kind of still striving to make that photograph that, that you like the look of. It's aesthetically pleasing or whatever. But the reality is that what you should be focused on is what's important and quite often the stuff that you, that is actually really important to the, the people that you're going to show the photograph to ultimately probably won't be the aesthetically pleasing stuff. Yeah, it will, it, it, <laughs> right, right. And you have to have the minerals as a photographer mm-hmm. to wed yourself to that image that you look at and you think, oh, it's kind of, it's not quite right. I wish I could have another go at it. But that's that's not what matters. What matters is the content within the frame not the little mistakes. Yeah, no, definitely. Unless you kind of find that when you work with clients, to be honest. Uh, most times, the photo that you think is aesthetically pleasing, beautiful, composed nicely, tends to be the one that say, oh, it's nice, right. but I can't use this. And then right. the one that was just like a snapshot is the one that they go crazy over. Like, oh, right, how right. You, how can you use this photo and put my name for this photo? <laughs> <laughs> you have to like swallow it, you just have to swallow it and just, I think it's because as photographers, we sort of miss the point sometimes. We spend so fucking long making it perfect the way we want to make it that we forget the point of it in the first place, which is the feeling, mm-hmm. um, yeah, true. the actual meaning of the thing. Yeah, the emotion, right? It's all, right. About, it's, it's, it's all about trying to find what's inside and, and trying how you are as a person, who you are as a person. We talk about mm-hmm. this a lot, but and then trying to show that tiny bit of yourself in an image. And apparently, I don't know whether, but every photo that you've ever taken, Brunel, will have a bit of you in it somewhere. Yeah, yeah that, definitely. I, don't, I, I can't remember what um, one of the legends said that the photos made, um, I don't know, was it behind the camera or with the person in the mind of the, in the, mind of the photographer? Or, I, six, I think it's like six inches behind the camera or something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that. And I was like, yeah, this is the truth because... The person, I don't know, there's something weird about how everyone can be looking at the same thing yet catch it completely differently. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like you could yeah. put someone, you could literally put 
a person in the same sport that you're taking a photo, take a photo, let that person take the same photo, and for some reason, it comes out completely different. And you're thinking, what is going on? But then again, it's down to the mindset, the, the soul, and the thought process of the person during that time. And one thing I've realized is if you have like a positive, if you have a positive or happy go lucky um, mindset behind the camera, your photos come out a bit more joyful. So when I first started photography, I had a lot of um, reggae in my ears. I used, to, I used to listen to reggae while shooting on the streets. Right. I was still, I mean, because coming out on the streets and start shooting photography, educate you're shy. But if you have like a, me- a medium or music or podcast or something, it kind of like, for some reason, gives you this He-Man moment. Forget about um, your surroundings, forget about all the questions and consequences that you may face doing your photography and you just start shooting. And if the music was bubbly, my photos were bubbly. If the music was kind of like low, my photos were low. And this kind of like allowed me to learn that if my mood is right, my photos come out a certain way. If my mood is wrong, my photos come out a different way. And it's quite interesting. Maybe that's why all my photos are miserable. I'm such a miserable bastard. <laughs> Your photos are miserable, Paul. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Shit, I didn't think about that, Dan. That's why talking to you all day makes me miserable. That's what it is. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Forever dragging things down. Do you know, I was actually thinking the other day, that, sorry, this is going to take a really heavy left turn. Apologies well, to you both. Yeah, over the last few months, I've been looking at... Um, has anyone heard this stuff about UAPs? UAPs. Right, so UAPs are like the new UFOs. Don't ask me what it stands for. Can't remember. But Unidentified like, aerial... Yeah, I don't know. So, something is, it, I think you're pretty close, Paul. I think it's something like that. But the interesting stuff is that the American government has come out kind of recently and said, here's some footage... And here's these accounts from people from the stuff that's become declassified. Yeah. And there's genuinely something there, right? And whatever it is, whether it's tech that another country has or like something from some extraterrestrials, like, who fucking knows? Yeah. I told you this would take a left turn. Where, 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 where this led me was, imagine there is aliens and they've got these amazing craft that can go from like zero to God knows how many miles an hour in like a fraction of a second. Your imagination what? is... Well, you've been smoking too much waggy backy today. <laughs> you've, been, you've been on the pipe of peace today, son. <laughs> so what I was thinking was, what, what does photography look like for these people, right? Because if you think about it, we're confined to a small frame like this. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to think, in the future, like if we had tech like that, what does photography look like? And the only place I could land was, it would be a little bit like VR. Like you could have a moment... I Where, thought you were going to say it'd be like a panoramic picture. <laughs> yeah, it'd just, it'd just be like the iPhone. <laughs> just, no, just one of those things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, where I ended up was like, you know, like on like a video game where you can move around in three dimensions and move around the thing. Yeah. But would that destroy all the creativity? Like, let's say, for example, I could wave a magic wand right now. I could sort out the alien camera for you. And all you would do is you'd press the button and it would just take everything from every angle. That's it. You're basically like you experience the photograph and you're in it. Does that get rid of the creativity or are you still selecting the moment? You're still selecting the moment. I think, I think 
yeah, you're still slow at the moment. Yeah. It'd be interesting. Like moment. It does sound interesting when, when you when you think about it. I think but yeah. there's, there's kids now, right? They go on Google Maps and stuff and they they, they, they basically search for weird off where Google's caught somebody like, you know, on a skateboard and then they just jumping yeah. over a hedge or something. And there's people who, who troll Google Earth taking pictures by it. Google Earth. That's what they, they do it, and it's like there's people who've made exhibitions with that kind of stuff, and there's gamers that they photograph in games, you know. And if you think about it, like virtual gaming is taking off. It would be pretty a smart move now if you went into like video games and started becoming an ace photographer. Like, do you know, like when you can view on Twitch people playing video games, there must be a way you can go in and photograph people, be a video games photographer and you're, you're photographing in that virtual space. But I think that's the future. I think it'll go that way. Or maybe, I don't know, but I, I kind of like that. Maybe we can become virtual video game photographers, make a killing. Somebody did that at the beginning of lockdown. Who did yeah. that? Yeah, Craig Whitehead. What's the yes, name? yes, yeah. you're right. You're right. It was. Yeah. It was. He was playing uh, like some cowboy game. Spider-Man and Red, Red, Red Dead Redemption or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Red Redemption from, um, from Rockstar Games. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it was. You are absolutely right. Well yeah. remembered. Yeah, no, yeah no, no, no. boy. <laughs> what, we, are we, are we, uh, are we at shout-out time yet, Daniel? Are yeah, we, uh... I, I think we are. I think we are. Every week we like yeah. to give uh, a fellow creative or a project that a fellow creative is working on a bit of a shout out. It doesn't have to be anyone even successful. It could just be someone that you feel is worthy of, of a bit of attention. Okay, let me, let me, let me, let me go for my Instagram right now and find someone interesting. Let, let's get Paul to go first because I see he's already raring to go. <laughs> yeah, I, I, this week I'm going to go with a book called Goodnight Wuhan by a man called Matt J. Neal is published by Art Deco Magpie. Um, and it's, it's basically, I came across it um, through Insta, I think. But um, he was a, I think, I think he's a Welshman, or he lived in Newport, South Wales. So if he wasn't a Welshman, I don't know why he was living in Newport. But anyway, um, and he went, he moved out to Wuhan in 2016, um, before the pandemic even happened. And it's just, some of his... his it's, it's very much a street-style photography, but it, I was really interested in what Wuhan looked like, considering mm-hmm. how much we viewed about it this year. And um, Yeah, it's really, really beautiful work, really lovely stuff. Wait, can I see a photo from the, from the book? Can you just show the camera? Yeah, that's interesting. Yes, man. Nice. Yeah, it's really... Um, I'll just see if I can show you. That is pretty cool. For, for everyone listening, because obviously this is audio only, we will... We'll pop a link to that in the show notes. That, that's the market where coronavirus started. No, I'm joking. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. It's beautiful. Yes, yeah, really beautiful works. Really lovely stuff. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And so you're saying this, this is a, a Welshman? I think he's well. well it's, it's start, the opening paragraph, it says, I'll read it here. He says, uh, I moved to Wuhan, China from Newport, South Wales in early 2016. Over the next few years, I would explore Wuhan extensively immersing myself in the city and its rich, vibrant culture. Because he's Welsh, I'll put a Welsh accent on as I read it. Yeah, I, I noticed uh, that you really hand up the accent to read that. Move into a society <laughs> with an almost <laughs> complete contrast in mentality, mannerisms and customs as to what I was used to. Sorry, sorry, Matt. No, I really love his book, though. It's a lovely book. Adam, 
Art Deco Magpie, Matt J. Neal, Good Night, Wuhan. That's a solid pick. How about you, Bruno? Are you, are you ready to go or yeah, do you need some more time? Been. No, I found someone. Uh, I think it's going to be, um, my shout out is going to be John B. Hetz. Okay. What else did I'll tell you what he did or what? Yeah, tell me what he does. Tell me what he does. Come on, Brunel. Yeah, does, does he like, hang on, hang on. Brunel, Brunel, does he like white socks? I don't know. I'll have to find out. <laughs> yeah, so he's been, he's been documenting a lot of um, protests throughout lockdown, which I really find interesting. But, but there's one photo that he took during um, one of these um, Free Palestine protests that I really... Um, found interesting like it was really like okay cool this is this is the photo that should be the iconic photo for any of the protests that, that whole movement yeah and um i was like yeah this is cool but all the other photos have been like everyone's shooting the same movement of the march and everything but i've had the chance to go so i really wanted to see someone that had like the time to document the actual individuals in the protest where's he based I have no idea. I didn't know if he was another Londoner or... No, I mean, yeah, he's a Londoner. Yeah, he's based in London. I'll probably send his... Um, share his um, IG handle to you guys after. Yeah, yeah, also. definitely. And we'll include that in the show notes so that everyone listening can, can go and check him out as well. Yeah. Have, you, have you ever heard of um, Jason D. Little? I don't think so. I've given him a shout out before. Um, he, he does a lot of protest stuff. He, he was um, at the beginning of Black Lives Matter. Mm. God, it's, it's, a, it's a year today, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, George, George, George Floyd's murder was yeah. was a year today. Yeah, today. But yeah, I'm waiting for the sixth, the London, the London protests. That's where London got involved for me anyway. Right. Jason's from uh, New York. I think before that he was doing. I mean, he was doing street photography and stuff before that. But his focus now is almost completely on on okay. protests. And yeah. the work's really, really strong. I've given him a shower before, so I don't want to kind of babble on too much because i think people have heard me talk about him before but definitely check out his work it's it's really interesting because it shows the kind of the love behind the protest most people think of protest shots and they think of the big sexy the violence and that kind of stuff and the reality is that's not what it is right democratic protesting is normally a lot more loving and inclusive Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what his shots show so one question i'd have to ask is do you feel that street photography is now moving into protest photography? That's what I like to call it. Um, I think for some people it probably is, but probably not as a whole. Yeah, I, I don't know. When I look at street photography stuff a lot at the moment, it, it doesn't all feel like protest stuff. There mm-hmm. is a lot of that, but I think there's just a lot of that in the world. I think people are kind of mobilized and people have things to say and those things deserve to be documented too. So I've, I think we're kind of in this weird transitional state as a planet. And I think people are kind of trying to to document that. Whenever I go to a protest, and I've been to a few um, in London, I, I'm usually blown away by the amount of photographers who are at these places. I mean, it, it, it can be like 50, 100, and it feels... Like, sometimes it feels, again, if this alpha male, competitive, uh, and maybe, again, this is all in my head and I'm making this up. But I, feel, people, I feel the same way. You know, I, it just feels like it's a game and it, people aren't there. They're not there for <laughs> the the cause or because they're, they're related to the cause or they feel passionate about the cause or, or 
they're there just to try and get a good Instagram photo and I, I don't know it bothers me in some ways and I think there's like I've always when I when I go to those things I again it comes back to this point of kindness but I'm always trying to be show I don't want to show the the bottles being thrown or the people being punched or the trouble maybe that's just me as a person no, I'm going, I, I, I totally 100% agree with you Paul. you know I just think yeah it feels like a lot of people are there for the wrong reasons and I mean, if you're there and you want, you want this somehow. You want to tell a story of the protest. Fine, I, I, it's a free world. We live in a democratic society, and good on you. But I, 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 I mean, and I think because because there are so many there, like I don't know. I don't think my voice is going to maybe add anything different to those. Or maybe it would. Maybe it would. Admit, but I think because I feel like you know, it, it's like this. Like again, because it's, it's such a a weight of numbers of people photographing these events that it kind of puts me off a bit, kind of like, you know... It, it, no, it, but then ah. what comes to mind is um, HCB and his documentary of one of the protests that he went to, Henry Carter Bishop. So he said, um, instead of me focusing on what's going on that everyone's going to see, I'm going to focus on the things people don't see. Yeah. I, I can't remember what protest it was or what demonstration it was at, but he... Totally. Isn't that what we're trying to do all the time? Like, I wouldn't, wouldn't because I think, like, I that's kind of one of my like questions. Like, what what can I show you that maybe not? I mean, and I think that's maybe too egotistical to say that nobody's seen before. But what can I show you in a new way? In in a in a way that matters to me. Like, and and again, it comes back to if it matters to you, it should matter to other people, right? That's the that's exactly. the that's the kick. You or know, it might not it, even matter if it matters to other people. No, it does exactly, and I, you're right. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if it matters to you. It matters. That's it. You have to stay true to yourself. Yeah. Love yourself. Love yourself, and others will love you. Yeah. Way to bring it full circle. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Nice. That, that's nice. that's, that's nice. cool. That's nice. Um, so my shout out this week is actually a, a good friend of mine, and he's had to wait 15 episodes for a shout out. So it's not going to be. I thought it was going to be another obscure musician. Sorry. <laughs> he is obscure but he is not a musician so my shout out this week is carl cooper some of you may have actually seen a photo of him before because back in episode three when we had roman edits and photos um, there was a photo of of carl in in that list so carl was actually a, a tattoo artist his work's really amazing he has a style that's kind of unique actually that the more you get into tattoos the more you realize his shit does not look like everyone else's it's kind of really bold really bright i'd strongly suggest that anybody remotely into tattoos and 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 that kind of art checks out carl cooper i don't don't think i could ever like i have have enough pain you know be able to go to the pain barrier to have a tattoo i'm just gonna cry like a baby as soon as they put the needle in my arm Nope. Me, me and you, Paul, we're going to get matching tattoos someday. Yes, you have idol. I love hands. <laughs> Brunel, do you want the word society? <laughs> yes, come on, Brunel. Come on, mate. We just met. We're going to give you a tattoo. We'll all go down to the tattoo parlour. Mr. Cooper, we're on our way. Actually, that'd be a really good shout, because Carl Cooper lives in Honolulu. So, Oh, my word. That so, would yeah, be so, so, Brunel, that. if you want to accompany us to Honolulu to go and see Carl... <laughs> Yes, I was interested still. <laughs> Mate, thank you for your time this evening. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Really, really. No worries. Thank you. It was a pleasure. As always, we'll include everything that we spoke about in the show notes. And if you haven't already followed Brunel and gone and checked out his website, then I strongly recommend you do that. 
um, his work is incredible and he's deserving of a little bit of your attention at least. I think that's it, right? Yeah, I think that's good, Daniel. Who are we talking to next week, Paul? Um, who are we talking to next week? That's a good question, Daniel. Who is, who's on the list next? There's a few people, it, isn't there? Is that Mrs. Juno or is that the week afterwards? Uh, I think that's the week afterwards. I think we've got a week. I'm going away. I'm going to Bath into Wales for the week next week. So um, I'm going to have a digital detox. <laughs> and then Wuhan the week afterwards. And Wuhan. <laughs> I wish. Thank you very much for tuning in. And we'll catch you guys next week. Thank you, Brunel. Uh, thank you, guys. Have a pleasure. Take care, mate. Big love. <laughs>